Man, it is just so sweet to worship with you. How are you this morning, family? Good. All right, good, good, good. If you uh, were not here last week, we, um, we launched a, a, a brand new series, Walking Through the Book of Acts, and the series is called Family Spirit, right? And the reason why is because uh, the book of Acts is, is, is really the story of the birth of the church family and the spirit who empowers us. Hence, family spirit, right? And, uh, and last week, what we did is we just, like, talked about the first few verses. We just kind of started this whole series. And what we walked away with last week were these truths. You can trust Jesus. You can trust his word. And you can trust his timing, right? Because Jesus was saying to his followers, now it's time to wait. You just need to wait for a while and trust that God will pour out his spirit on you, but you need to wait first. And kind of where we concluded, what we talked about is the fact that when we trust Jesus, when we trust his word, when we trust his timing, then we can wait with expectancy and not anxiety, right? Today we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, and what we're going to encounter today is a question an answer, a promise, and a pretty amazing spectacle. Okay, that's kind of where we're heading today. If you have a Bible, we're going to get right to it this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 1, if you have your, your, a Bible or you have a Bible app or something, I think it's, it's important for us to get comfortable with, you know, God's Word and, and, and where to find it in the Bible and reading it, you know, for ourselves. And so Acts chapter 1, verse 6, here's what God's Word says. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We're going to stop right there. Just a few verses in today as we walk through this series. I want you to remember um, that these words we just read were, were inspired uh, and written, or were inspired by God and written by a, a man named Luke. And, and this is uh, really a sequel to what he wrote uh, about Jesus' life in what we call the book of Luke, right? And what he's trying to do here is, is he's sort of um, pairing the two together, uh, how, how Luke ends and how Acts begins. He's sort of overlapping the two things so we understand this carryover. And the overlapping um, event was the, the final days that Jesus spent with his disciples, with his followers, and, and the instructions he was giving to them. And what we just read was a description of the disciples' last 
precious moments with their risen Lord. And, and whenever you have like last moments and you hear the last words of somebody, it's pretty significant. And these are literally the last words they heard from Jesus just before he left. And it's interesting because as we come to this moment and as they stand there with Jesus and he's, he's giving the final things he's going to say, the first thing we hear, the first thing that's on the mind of the disciples is a question. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Will you at this time do it? Now, I imagine that the, the three years previous to this had been <laughs> this crazy mixture of, of amazing experiences. And, um, and at times we know that, that there were scary moments as the disciples were with Jesus. There were times when they were unsure of what we, he was doing. And other times they were crystal clear on who he was and what he was doing. But as time went by, as they spent more and more time with Jesus, they, they became more and more convinced that he was the Messiah. That, that he was the one that they had grown up since childhood hearing about, the Savior. But, but here's the thing. As they began to see Jesus speak and what he began to do, and now in these final moments as he's about to leave, um, what they expected Jesus to be and do was not what Jesus was. It's not what he did. And so it kind of caused a little bit of confusion for them because all their lives, all growing up, they had come to believe that the Messiah was going to come and what the Messiah's primary purpose in doing was to set Israel free, to, to establish his kingdom. And, and so they've been hearing this their entire lives. They've been anticipating this. And now Jesus comes and goes, I think he's the one but he hasn't done what we thought he was going to do. And so in these final moments, they're saying, Jesus, is now the time? Like, is this the time you're going to set up your kingdom right here? Are you, are you going to remove the, the bondage that uh, our nation is under in the Roman Empire? Or, or what are you going to do? Jesus was not meeting their expectations of what they had hoped he would do. You see, Jesus didn't come to restore the kingdom to Israel as they had thought. Instead, Jesus came to die so that a spiritual kingdom could be populated. That was his goal, and they didn't understand it. And so it's interesting to me that after spending three years with Jesus, day in and day out, hearing him teach, seeing his life, seeing him do these amazing, miraculous things, including himself raising from the dead, they're still confused as to his purpose, his plan. And so when they have the opportunity, they ask the question, is now the time? Are you, are you finally now going to restore the nation of Israel and set us free from our oppressors? And to that question, Jesus gave an answer. And, and frankly, <laughs> it's kind of a curt answer. Listen to it. Verse 7. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own 
authority. Are you hearing what he says there? They say, is now the time, Jesus? Are, are you going to finally rise up? Are you, are you going to finally restore the nation of Israel? And his answer is, it's none of your business. It's not for you to know. Jesus doesn't reject the idea that God has an ultimate plan for restoration, although it may not be what they thought it was going to be. But he basically says, guys, it's, it's, it's none of your business when my father completes his plans and when he does what he's going to do. All throughout his journey with them, he's been teaching them, trust my father, trust him. Wait, when he says wait. And while you're waiting, I'm going to give you something to do, right? So after a very brief answer to their question, it's none of your business, Jesus changes their focus and he gives them a promise. This is what it says, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You will receive power, Jesus says. In fact, the Greek word that we translate power is the same root word that we get our word dynamite. Right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. As we talked about last week, it's... It's like Jesus is reiterating the promise that he already made that you will be given a helper. And he sort of emphasizes the fact that this helper will be a powerful helper who will enable you to do everything that I am asking you to do. In other words, you're not going to be able to live this life on your own. You're not going to be able to be my witnesses on your own. You're going to need some power. You're going to need some strength, some ability to live this life. So he says, you will receive power. In fact, you will receive the same power, the same spirit that raised me from the dead. Listen to what the Bible says. This is awesome. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If you are a follower of Christ today, you have been given his spirit to live in you. And it's the same spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That, just think about that for a minute. I mean, the, the, the very hinge of our faith revolves around Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Because he hadn't, we wouldn't have any kind of faith. And the power that raised him from the dead is the same power, the Bible says, that lives in you and I as followers of his. That's unbelievable. Amazing. In fact, when I hear Jesus promise that you will receive power when my spirit comes upon you, what it makes me think about is the day that Jesus was baptized. I don't know if you remember this, but Luke, okay, in his account of Jesus' life, Described it this way in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, 
And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine that moment? Jesus is standing before them. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. And the Bible tells us that this physical representation of the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. He's anointed by the Spirit in that moment. And his followers were to be, in a similar way, anointed and empowered by the Spirit to carry on his work. A promise that not only Jesus made, but one that was made hundreds of years earlier prophetically. In fact, listen to what the Bible tells us in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 11, verse 19. And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, And they shall be my people, and I shall be their God. I will put a new spirit in them. And Jesus said, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Here and there. Right here in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, which are sort of the outlying regions around Jerusalem, and then ultimately to the world. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. In other words, Jesus is making it very clear that the enabling, the empowering the Spirit will allow you to be my witnesses and for that to be effective. I think it's interesting that the last few words that Jesus uses, in that he uses the word witness. You will be my witnesses. I say that because that particular word, a word that is translated into English from the Greek language in the New Testament to witness, in the Old Testament from Hebrew, the word that we use as witness from both of those languages is repeated. It's a theme throughout all of Scripture. I don't know if you knew this. But from beginning to end, we see the, the idea of witnesses, and it actually sort of communicates God's ultimate plan. We first see that word in the Old Testament scriptures, uh, and it describes what you would probably think of when you think of a witness, right? It, it describes somebody who has seen or, or experienced something and then is able to communicate or tell what they saw, right? So, right, we, we get the idea that, that you go to court and you say, I'm a witness, I saw this, explain what you saw, what you experienced, right? So, so at the beginning of the scriptures, we see that idea being communicated. It's somebody who's making a, a, a covenant, and there's other people there to witness what's happening. And, and then, as Scripture continues on, God tells the nation of Israel, you are to be witnesses of me to the world. I want you to represent me to this world. But as you continue on through the story, you realize that the nation of Israel didn't always do that so well. That, that, in fact, there were times when they pulled away from God and they sought to follow after other gods. And they were not exactly witnesses of God. And so then God raised up other leaders, a leader like Moses. 
And what would happen is this, and here's where this word comes in. Moses would go away to be with God. He would go up on the mountain and meet with God and hear from God and come back down. And the Bible says, and he would bear witness to the nation of Israel as to what God said and what he's like. And then God raised up prophets, and they would hear from God, and they would bear witness to the nation of Israel of what God has said. And then the prophet Isaiah was inspired to foretell that one day there would be the ultimate witness. Isaiah says he is called the servant. And he says that this witness would one day come and would open blind eyes so that they could see God and what he's like. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of that promise was Jesus. He was bearing witness to the justice and the grace of God through his life and death and and resurrection. And so it's very interesting to me, as from the Old Testament through the prophets, through Jesus himself being the ultimate witness as to who God is, in these final moments, as his disciples had witnessed Jesus' teaching. They had witnessed his life. In fact, they had witnessed his resurrection from the dead. They were with him right then as he's alive. He then, just before he leaves, he says, and now you are to be my witnesses. And by extension, all of you who follow him are to be his witnesses, to witness to the reality of who Jesus is. Jesus said, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. What Jesus lived and taught his disciples is to be a witness, not just in the things you say, but in how you live and what you do and how you love. See, I think that when we hear the word, the idea that you are to be my witnesses, For many of us, especially if you have any church background or you grew up in church, I think that you have maybe a definition floating around in your mind of what it means to be his witnesses. But I want you to hear that when Jesus communicated this, it was not this narrow definition. He was saying, you, through your life, through the way you live and love and speak, you are to bear witnesses to my reality. See, I think that somewhere along the line, I don't know when. I just know that it was certainly happening in my lifetime. Somewhere along the line, the church began to redefine being witnesses. And it changed to this. You need to witness. Do you see the the slight little change there? You need to witness. And, And for me, as I grew up, the way it was explained to me that to be a witness, to witness for Jesus meant this. To share the four spiritual laws with people. And so I, I, as a young person, as a young believer, I went on some missions trips and, and I m- memorized the four spiritual laws, front to back, every single word. And, and, and what was communicated to me was, if you could just say these words, if you communicate what's on this pamphlet to individuals, then you're a witness. If you could just use this handful of you know, five or six different verses from the Bible that say this is how you accept Jesus, then you have been a witness. 
I think that somewhere along the lines we began to see being my witnesses to be to witnessing, which meant to share some words, to share a pamphlet, to leave it for a tip. Please don't do that. But I believe that Jesus' vision for his witnesses is much greater than a pamphlet or a few verses on salvation. Don't get me wrong. As witnesses, we must be ready and able to communicate the truth of salvation and what it means to accept Jesus into your life. We, we, we need to be able to communicate that. But it's so much more than that. It is to be a friend of sinners like Jesus was. It is to engage the hurting and the broken like Jesus did. It is to meet not only a person's spiritual needs, but there are other needs as well, just like Jesus did. It is to bear witness of Jesus' life in the way we live and in the way we love. And of course, in the way we speak as we speak the true things about Jesus' life and death and resurrection and his offer of salvation. But I just, I, I'm just praying that this morning we can just blow away that definition that some of us have grown up with that says, to be my witnesses is to witness. And to witness means to say these words. Because it's so much more than that, family. It's how we live our lives in such a way that testifies as to the reality of Jesus to be his witnesses. And the promise of the Spirit's power, Jesus said, is necessary for the promise of bearing witness to be effective. Witnesses are people who experience Jesus and then represent him to communicate that Jesus is real in the things I say and the things I do. Let's make this a little bit more personal. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, here's the truth. You have the power of his spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus today, you have been given his spirit. You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living in you. And you have been called to be his witnesses or to be his witness to this world. So let me ask you a very personal question. Does that, does that picture... Does that describe your life? Or maybe even more accurately, does that describe your lifestyle? That my life revolves around being a witness to the reality of Jesus. See, here's what I fear. I fear that for many of us, what we have done is we have sort of added this idea of being a witness to a long list of to-dos in our lives. And it's just sort of one of those things on the list. But I don't think that being a witness was ever intended to be on a list. But rather, to be the guiding reason for everything that goes on the list. Let me just say that one more time. 
I don't believe that being a witness was ever intended to be on a list, but rather to be the guiding reason for everything that goes on the list. Why is that thing on the list? And I believe that what Jesus said, his final word was this. The reason for everything that goes on your list is to bear witness as to the reality of who I am. So what's on your list? Taking the kids to soccer. So, is the reason, is the purpose of taking the kids to soccer to get them to soccer? Maybe not. What if the purpose of taking the kids to soccer is to bear witness as to the reality of Jesus to your kids and to their friends and to the other parents that you meet along the way as you care for them and love them and speak truth to them? What other things are on your list? Uh, well, I got to go to work. What's the purpose of going to work? Well, to get a paycheck, to get, a, you know, get by, get to retirement. Mm, really? What if that's not the purpose? What if the purpose of your job is to bear witness as to the reality of Jesus with the people you work with in the way you love them? Speak to them. Care for them. Whatever's on your list. What if that was the ultimate purpose? For going to school. Uh, I know the purpose of going to school, to get through it. To get a diploma at the end, to get some kind of a degree. What if it's not? What if the reason, what if the purpose for all of those things that on our day-to-day lives, that are on our to-do lists, was to bear witness as to the reality of Jesus in our lives. And what if we, what if we not only like, believed that, but we lived that way, how would that change your life? And, and how would that change the lives of the people around us? I would venture to say this, there would be a radical change. Because all of us, and I'm speaking to myself here too, all of us can get caught up, I get caught up, in the stuff I got to do and get done, and I got to go here and do that thing, and next month, oh, Thanksgiving's come. I mean, all these things that we think about that becomes, you know, so important that we sort of revolve our lives around. And if, if somehow, day by day, we were to say, my purpose today is to bear witness to the reality of Jesus, and I can't do that in my own strength. I do that in the power of God's Spirit that lives in me if we actually lived that way, if we actually took the kids to the soccer that way or went to school that way or went to work that way, it would radically change your life and the lives of the people around you. And I think that was Jesus' whole purpose. So what if we were to redefine being witnesses and reorient our lives around being that in the power of the Spirit? I think it would change everything. And I believe that that was Jesus' purpose and his mission and why he said, you need power to do this. Because this isn't a to-do list. This isn't something you need to do every once in a while. This is your life. And you need me to do it. After answering a question and giving a promise that really turned into our mission for life, 
Jesus ended that conversation with a spectacle. That was the best word I could come up with. I was trying to think, what's, what's a word? It's like spectacle. It's like that's the best thing I could come up with, a spectacle. Let's read it, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Just imagine this moment. They're having this conversation. They don't even know at that moment this is our Jesus' last words to us. And then, I, don't, I, I try to imagine. I can't even imagine what this must have been like. Somehow, some clouds enveloped Jesus, and he was physically lifted before their very eyes, and they watched as he lifted until he disappeared. That's pretty amazing. When I was a little kid, uh, I mean really little, like before... Before kindergarten, so that's like, you know, four, five, you know, whatever years old. Well, we had a neighbor who was a magician, like a professional magician. And uh, I was enthralled with him. And I, I, could, I don't remember much from that age, but I, still, I can still remember we'd go and visit them in their house, and he would inevitably take out some kind of thing, and I'm this little kid, and he's doing this stuff, and I was just amazed flabbergasted. And, and, and it was some kind of weird thing, because even as a little kid, I knew that these were tricks, but I couldn't figure out how. Like, how in the world did that just disappear? Where did it go? I was amazed. I loved it. Magic. Now, just imagine the disciples watching Jesus do something astonishing. It wasn't magic. It wasn't a trick. It was a powerful work of God. They're watching, they have watched Jesus do miraculous things for the last three years. Heal people and blind people seeing and walking on water and feeding thousands of people with just a little food. They even witnessed him raising people from the dead. I mean, they'd seen all these amazing things. And this final one was like the showstopper. This was over the top. Before their very eyes, Jesus was literally lifted up. Amazing. And the Bible tells us that as they stood there dumbfounded, I imagine their, their jaws just wide open, looking up. Like, I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. Suddenly there were these two beings, two men, it says, in white robes who say, hey, what are you guys looking at? It's, it's, it's almost this subtle way of communicating to them. Hey, guys, I don't think that Jesus asked you to stand here and, like, look up and wait. Didn't he give you something to do? Didn't he say to wait for his spirit and then when his spirit comes that you are to be his witness? I think he got something to do. And then they reassured them. 
Because I'm sure they were, I mean, this was an unbelievable moment. And they were reassured. They said, listen, listen, one more promise. Just as you saw him go, he'll do it in reverse. He'll come back. In the same way that you just saw this amazing thing happen, he's going to do that again. You can be sure of it. I promise. And that's the reality that we still live in. This waiting and living out the mission he's given us, right? We're still waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of God's purposes and God's plans. We're still waiting for that moment when Jesus, in the same way he left, that he would return. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 puts it this way. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're still waiting for that. But in the meantime, Jesus said, you will be empowered by my spirit who will empower you to live the life, to say the words, to love the people in the way that I have loved them. Our life purpose and mission is to witness to the reality of Jesus. And the only way we can do that effectively is in the power of the Spirit. And that's the secret. Not in your own strength. Not in your own wisdom. Not in your own charisma. But in the power of the Spirit. Which means then that we must depend on the Spirit day to day to empower us to live the life he's called us to live and to say the things he's called us to say. The, the Bible puts it this way, to walk in step with the Spirit, which kind of tells me this, that we're not to run ahead of or fall behind of, but to stay in step with the Spirit, which I think is a daily, moment by moment, hour by hour reality. See, Jesus promised, I will send you a helper. And so if we have a helper, here's what we ought to do. Ask for help. Spirit, will you help me today? Will you help me today to live this to-do list, to go about the tasks of today, to live my life empowered by you? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you... Would you prompt me when to say and when not to say, how to love and how to care? What if, what if that was our day-to-day -day life, that we were to come every day and say, my helper, Holy Spirit, would you please guide me today? I want to stay in step with you. Would you please empower me today to, to be your witness? In the way I love, in the way I live, the things I say as I go about the things on my list. Would you stand up with me?
I want to say something because I know that some of us in this room, your personality is that what you feel right now is a heavy weight on your shoulders. And you're kind of going, another thing to do, all right. Jim just said, I got to do these things now, another thing on the, listen, that's not what I said. And it's not what Jesus said. And in fact, if you were hearing that in your ear, that is not the voice of God. It is not. This is not heaviness. This is enabling you to live this life. This isn't something that weighs you down but lifts you up. Please hear that. This isn't another thing to do. What Jesus called you and I to do or to be is to walk in the power of his spirit and as we do that, to bear witness to the reality of who Jesus is in our lives. And he'll give us opportunities to do that as care for the person we work with and speak when he prompts us to speak and care for them and to live our lives as if we had a purpose. And that purpose being to bear witness that Jesus is real. And I know it. He lives in me. Family, I pray, I pray that we will not just hear these words today, but that we will apply them to our lives. That tomorrow morning when you get up, that you'll say, Spirit, help me. Help me today to live. Empower me today. Because here's the thing. All the stuff we chase after, all the things we go after in this life, it just wears us out and grinds us down. I believe this, that if we actually live out our lives at the center of what God has planned for our lives, which I believe is, ultimately, to bear witness as the reality of Jesus. If we live that way in the power of his spirit, you know what? That's not wearing down. That's not grinding down. That's actually empowering and filling up. It's the kind of life that he made us for. And I want that life for you and for me. And I believe that if we actually live that way, it would change our lives and change this world. I think that was his plan. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much that you said these last words to your followers and by extension to us. And of all the things you could have said in those final moments, you said, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses everywhere. And I just pray, God, that we would have ears to hear what you have to say today. That you would empower us, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to not just do these things, to not just put this on our to-do list, but to actually live it out day by day in the little things we do so that people would see that Jesus is real in us and through us. God, help us do that. Help us live like that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, family, for being here today. Look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.